Chapel, Mason City. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now, Ephesians divides itself naturally into two sections. Does anybody remember what they are? Chapters 1 through 3, and then chapters 4 through 6. The first chapter is the doctrinal, yeah. And the second chapter, the second part of the book is the practical. The, the first three chapters, who we are in Christ, and the second section of the book, verses 4 through 6, how you should behave in Christ. Now, that's important to have the who you are before the what you should do. Some people have the whole cart ahead of the horse with that one. They're so focused about what they should do, they've never learned who they are in Christ. And that's what we've been doing for the last couple months here as we went through the first you know, up to the third chapter is learning who we are in Christ. Now, that continues here today. We're still in this who we are in Christ section. Now, in this passage, Paul's going to talk about what he calls a mystery. Now, it's not like Nancy drew mysteries. What a mystery is, is something that was not revealed in Old Testament times, but eventually God revealed. That's what a biblical mystery is. Now, Paul talks about this mystery in our passage today. The mystery that he's been talking about in Ephesians is that Jews and Gentiles together are one in the body of Christ. Now, we don't appreciate how radical of a statement that is, but these were the two Jews and anybody that wasn't a Jew. It was such a divide between these two. It's like prejudice between these two groups. They hated one another. And so when Paul says, everybody's coming together in one body in the church, that was absolutely radical and shocking. We don't appreciate that much today because we know God at this point. We know that he welcomes anybody and everybody into the church. We're not getting a lot of the shock that we would in reading what Paul's saying about Jews and Gentiles being in the church. So every time you hear anything about Jews and Gentiles, you could just do this just for the fun of it. You could go, ah! you know, like that. And then that would help you to appreciate it, you know. So every time you see that, make a note in your Bible if you're a Bible noter and, and you could write, freak out here, <laughs> you know. Ah! <laughs> now, in this passage today, there's one main point that I want to draw out. And it comes out of him talking about this. And then we'll come back around there and make a few applications and then we'll be done. But here's that point. And it has to do with who you are in Christ. As a Christian, you and I are chosen to reveal God to this world. Think about that for a second. That's staggering that you and I are called to reveal God to this world. I was thinking about, you know, you hear somebody say that Christians are like, a, you know, a billboard for Jesus. And I was looking up funny billboards online and I saw one that was half of it was incomplete and it was a Lowe's billboard, and it said unfinished projects, <laughs> but the billboard was, and I looked at about 100 of them before service today, and most of them weren't appropriate, but I thought that one was kind of funny. Another one was uh, a billboard that says, this is God, you asked for a sign, and it's a huge sign, <laughs> you know, but the idea of a billboard, or even better, an idea, the idea of the moon. Now, the moon doesn't have any light itself. Does everybody know that? Science? I remember the day that I learned that I really, that, that, <laughs> that, that made sense to me that the moon is just a reflection of the light of the sun. Christians are just a reflection of God, right? Now, that's what we're going to see in this passage here today, but it's tucked within this conversation that Paul's having about the mystery. 
So you'll notice I've outlined the chapter about uh, we're dealing with this mystery thing, and it's a three-part outline. It's very simple. You can see it right there. Number one, God's mystery given to Paul. Number two, God's ministry given to Paul. And number three, God's motive of or behind the ministry, uh, the mystery. So those are the three points today. The text divides itself into those. Beginning at verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel." You're supposed to go, ah! oh, no, I just, let's pray before we get into this, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word here today, God, and we pray that it would speak to us, Lord, that you would make it live. Heavenly Father, show us who Jesus direct us to our Savior. And I do pray, especially for anybody that may have not given their life today to you, that today would be that day that they would see us to your Spirit's prompting on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a really interesting passage, okay? So I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 3, and then I also want you to look at verse 14 of chapter 3. Do you notice something similar about those things? They both start with the same first words, right? For this reason, you can see that there. If you don't have a Bible, I don't know what you're going to do, but... uh, (laughs) Have you ever started to make a point but then you kind of got sidetracked and laid in a whole bunch of background information and eventually came back around to making your point. Some of you talk like that all the time, probably, you know, and your spouse is like, you know, I'm just only talking about my own experience here. (laughs) That's what I do. But that's what Paul does in this passage. Have you ever read through, you know, Ephesians 3 here and been like, what is going on here? Like Paul starts out by saying, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner. But then at verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees. It's like he picks up the point that he was trying to make there. Like the whole thing in the last chapter, right, the end of chapter 2, Paul was talking about how Jews and Gentiles are one in the church. We're saved by grace through faith. We're fulfilling the callings that God has on our life. And then he gets into this and says, for this reason... And if you look at verse 14 and on in your Bible, then he gets into a prayer. So it's like everything that was said in chapter 2, and then he goes, for this reason, I pray, and then he gets down. But he adds this whole other parenthetical sort of almost a sidetrack, like he almost got sidetracked. And that's the whole bulk of this message uh, today, verses you know, 2 through 13, or just like a sidetrack almost. He's laying in the backstory about this mystery. Now look at verse 12. He says, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulation. So notice the word therefore. So everything he says before that, he says, because of everything I just said in verses 2 through 11, therefore, don't lose heart because he's in jail. He says, don't lose heart at my tribulation. So everything from verses 2 and 11 is kind of this like parenthetical, like, let me digress. Let me make some other backstory about the whole thing. So it's just kind of weird like that. I thought I'd give you that right up front because when you read through this, it's kind of, it's kind of bizarre. I'm sure you've noticed that before. 
So, first of all, Paul then, the situation, the circumstance that he was in, look at verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Now, where it says Paul's a prisoner uh, for you Gentiles, this is the reason Paul was in house arrest, in a jail situation, because he was commissioned to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, which is shocking. And so what happened was he was in Jerusalem one time, and he was stirring people up because that's what Paul did because the Jews were so prejudiced against the Gentiles that everywhere Paul said this stuff, you know, fights broke out. And he's in Jerusalem one time, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 21 through 28, that he's trying to preach and talk to them about the gospel, and then everything's going well until he gets to this one word. Do you know what the one word is? Gentiles. He goes on to this whole thing about how God's coming for his people, the Messiah's here and all this, and he goes, and he's given me the ministry to take the word to the Gentiles. Everybody starts ripping their clothes, and they want to stone him to death. And so the Roman officials take Paul into custody so he doesn't get killed, and that's how he ends in this imprisonment. And so when he says, uh, you know, in this circumstance, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus, uh, for you Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. So as he's writing to the Gentile believers in the Ephesian church, he says, I'm in, I'm in jail because I brought the gospel to you. That's a good reminder to be thankful to the people that go through hardship so you can have the gospel. Now, I like how he says he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That just keeps standing out to me because technically he was a prisoner of Rome. But Paul understands life like this. If I'm in prison, God allowed it to happen. Therefore, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. By the way, when we start to see our hardships and our difficulties and our tribulations in life, we start to see that God is sovereign in all of these things, right? Some people are quick to complain about their circumstances. But look out. It's completely disrespectful to God to complain about circumstances if he is the sovereign controller of the world, right? So look out if you're one that's tempted, you know, if you're tempted to complain about your circumstances, maybe say, what can I get out of this, God? Why did you allow this? Rather than just out of this, right? A wise person asks the Lord what they're supposed to get out of every situation. Verse 2, so this is where he starts backing up. So he says, I, I, Paul, I'm in prison for you Gentiles. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, dispensation of grace, which God has given to me for you. Now, let's break this down. The word dispensation. Do you know a dispenser? familiar with a Pez dispenser? I have a picture of one if you're not. Yeah, there's, there's a picture. I think Isaiah's got it back there. Yeah, there you go. Those are 1970s Pez dispensers, uh, dispensers as well. Uh, you know, it, it, it's shocking to me that actually don't know who those people are in here. You know, <laughs> I think I had stuffed animal for all of those and it brings back good memories. But that's a Pez dispenser. And so you know what dispenser is. So back to verse two, he says, if indeed you've heard of the dispensation. So what a dispenser does is it dispenses something. And so what Paul is saying here is that God has dispensed something to him. And look at the passage, it tells you what it is. The dis dispensation of the grace of God. So God has dispensed grace to Paul. Now, what is that grace in this situation? In this case, the grace means the apostolic calling, 
the wisdom, the knowledge, the gifts, and everything that is needed to equip him for his ministry to the Gentiles. Now, this is really interesting to think about here today. All that we need to fulfill the ministries that God has called us to, he will dispense. In fact, the calling itself is part of that dispensation. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, I'm in jail. If indeed you've heard about the fact that God has dispensed this calling to me, that's what he's getting at. I want to tell you this today, if you're thinking about serving the Lord, if God has called you to it, he will equip you for it. Now, here are some facts about this mystery that are given in verses 3 through 5. Notice what it says, how that by revelation he made known to as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now, what he means by that is that when he says, I've already written about this, in chapter 1, he's already written a few details about this mystery, that Jews and Gentiles have become one in one body. Ah. Yeah, that's shocking, right? Yeah, good. Now you're starting to get it. Good job, everybody. And that's what he says. I briefly written this before, okay? He's, he wrote about it in chapter 1 briefly, a little bit. And he says, I'm assuming that you've heard about the calling that's on my life, why I'm in jail, and how did this mystery come? Look at verse 3. It says, that by revelation. Now, what that word revelation means is that this is something that could not have been known to Paul unless God himself revealed it to him right? Now, he said, by the revelation, he made known to me the mystery. So we don't know what the mystery is yet in this passage. He's kind of building anticipation. We already know what it is, but building it up. How that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery. Now, this thing about direct revelation from Jesus, I want to make a comment about this today. People don't get direct revelation today from God to continue to write Scripture. There aren't new books of the Bible where God had given, or other spiritual books where God gave somebody something that is essential that we need to read that's the Word of God. How do I know that? Because it says in the book of Jude that we are to defend the once-for-all given faith. Now, the Spirit speaks to people and reveals to th things to you in your life that you should do and guides you and comforts you and helps you and teaches you spiritual things, but the Spirit is not writing scriptures through people or words that are on par with God's Word, the Bible. It just doesn't happen. And I say that as a caution to you because there have been people that have tried to, to say that uh, throughout history, you know, that God's revelation wasn't complete, but thankfully he revealed some stuff to Joseph Smith. And, you know, so the Mormons, you know, they have this other book that you, you apparently need or the Apocrypha or all these other things. They are outside of what God inspired and has in these 66 books here. And God is no longer. Now, other facts about this mystery it's in verse five, that in other it was not made known to the sons of men. Now, what this means is in the, the church, the idea of the Jews and Gentiles in one body. Ah! Okay. People think it's weird. We get this down really well and then just get a visitor next week. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> well, 
that was not made known that they would all come together, you know, in the New Testament. That wasn't made known through the whole Old Testament period. This is something that God revealed at the time of Christ to the, to the disciples, to the apostles, and to the apostle Paul. That's what he's saying about this mystery. And he's also, look at verse 5 and how it's communicated. It says, as revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So the Holy Spirit is the one that communicated this uh, directly to them took the word of God, the revelation of God, and communicated it uh, through, through people, and they wrote the word. And who was it revealed to? Look at it. It says his holy apostles and prophets. Um, I'm assuming the word prophets there is just referring to the apostles because Paul just said it wasn't revealed in time before, so it's not referring to Old Testament prophets. It's just saying, I believe here, uh, talking about the New Testament apostles. So those are some facts about the mystery. It was given to Paul by direct revelation. It wasn't made known through the whole Old Testament time. And it was given, taught by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 6 is the mystery. So it's, it's kind of like the whole time it's been like, you know, drum roll, like, what is the mystery? He's like, well, it was given to me by revelation. Okay, what is it? Uh, it wasn't revealed in the whole Old Testament times. I know, but what is it? Okay, it was taught by the Holy Spirit. Oh, man, just go for it already. And verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are really catching on to this. This is great. And here it is. This is the mystery. Jews and Gentiles, you don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> do it in your home time, though. Uh, but... Uh, you know, in your Bible study, both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. See, God worked with the Jews. Those were his chosen people. I talked about that last week, right? I laid that whole groundwork. God, these were his chosen people and they still are. And the promises of the Messiah came through them. The word came through them. The land came through them. The law came through them. All these promises, all these prophecies, all this care of a father. Well, hey, the Gentiles get to be brought into that. And that's good news for us here today. I don't know if any of you are Jewish, you know, but that's good news. I'm glad that I got brought into the family. Thank you so much. I was riffraff, you know, I was out here, uh, you know, he saves from the guttermost and he brings us in and that's good news. That's why he keeps going on and on about it. It's just so good that you've brought, been brought into God's family. But look at how they come in. It says right there um, at the end of verse six, partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, the gospel simply means good news. How does somebody get brought into God's family through the gospel? Let me give you a scriptural breakdown of how this happens. I mean, it, when we look at how people get saved, there's just numerous ways. Some did at Billy Graham, some did by themselves, some did in the woods, whatever it is. But here's something that happened to everybody. Here's how it happens kind of with everybody. You've been confronted at some point in your life with the Holy Spirit that you're a sinner, that you are broken, that something's wrong with you. That's the Holy Spirit alongside of you. He's alongside of you. He's convincing you you're a sinner and you need a savior and you can't fix yourself. That's the first thing that happens to people. Then what happens is that same Holy Spirit who's alongside of you that you don't even know that he's doing this, he starts to convince you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that nobody comes to the Father except through him. And you say, I don't know, but I'm starting to get gravitated towards this Jesus fella. And then the next thing you start to realize is that if I reject him, there's going to be judgment. And all of these things are happening to you spiritually because the Holy Spirit's alongside of you telling you these things. And so then what happens is through whatever means, maybe a guy on a radio program, maybe you're at Billy Graham, for whatever means it happens, however it happens, you hear somebody share the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins, 
that he was buried, that he raised the third day, and that anybody can be saved by placing their faith in him. They can be forgiven. And you heard that and you trusted that and you believed that. That's how somebody comes into God's family through the gospel. It, it always comes the same way. Everybody, I'll tell you this, if somebody hasn't come in that same way, it's unlikely that they're a Christian. If you've never been convicted that you're a sinner that needs a Savior, you've never reached out to receive the Savior because you don't realize you need Him. So that's how people come in, in, in that way, uh, scripturally speaking. So this is just glorious. And mystery was given to Paul. Now, verse 7 through 9, God's ministry given to Paul. He says, of which I became a minister. First of all, of which he's taken off the Jews and the Gentiles in one body, this mystery, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of the saints, all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. He says, of which I became a minister, verse 7, according to the gift of the grace of God. Now, <laughs> it's interesting that Paul calls his ministry a gift. Isn't it? I mean, okay, Paul, you're going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. You're going to be whipped, beaten, stoned, thrown out of town, left for dead, shipwrecked. He's like, this is a gift. <laughs> he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace. The word minister, it simply means a servant. Our culture is kind of let that word get convoluted. Sometimes we think of minister as the person that deserves the special parking space. A minister is somebody that should be cleaning up the cigarette butts in the parking space. No. In general, this is the title for every Christian because every Christian, all of us, if you've been saved, you've been saved to serve. You're a minister. You're a servant of Jesus Christ if you've been saved by Jesus Christ. He bought you out of slavery to, this, to the devil and out of slavery to sin and death so you could become his. And that through a willing, gracious, grateful spirit that you would give your life in the service of him. And that's what he expects of everybody. He's called everybody to do that. He says, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. That's what it means to be a minister. A minister denies themselves. A servant denies themselves. A servant says, you first. Now, you parents already know what that's all about. You've, already, you've been called to a ministry of being a servant. You're a servant. You're serving your family. Spouses, you get it. Kids, you get it. You're to be serving your parents in your home. Now, he said this is a gift of God's grace. Now, we know that grace is it's where we get the English word charity, the Greek word. And so ministry is a gift of God's charity. You ever thought about that? Like when God gave you something to do, it was a gift of his charity. You ever heard somebody say, I'm glad I got something to do because when I got hands, I don't have something to do. I get in trouble. Yeah. His ministry is a gift of grace. It's charity. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you took me off the street and you gave me something to do that's meaningful and worthwhile. 
that word also implies that nobody deserves ministry. You know, it's not something that you achieve. It's something that's given to you to be a steward of. It's a beautiful picture. It's a great reminder. The wonderful privilege of serving in your marriage. Husbands, you're called to serve your wives, to love them as Christ loved the church. Wives, you're called to support your husbands and help them to fulfill the calling that God has on your family, on your house. You're called to serve kids. Kids are called to to serve in their homes, to be obedient to their parents. We're called to be servants at our jobs. We're to be the, Christians should be the best employee at the place. We're called to serve in the schools that we're part of. We're called to serve in the neighborhoods that God has put us in. And these are all just a gift of God's grace. It's all a gift of His grace. Wherever God's called you to serve today, it's maybe just a good thing to just remind, remind yourself that that's a gift. Now, he says, it was given to me by the effective working of His power. Now, I love this because he's like, God gave me this gift, but by the effective working of His power, I actually received it and became a minister. You know what I mean? That gift, that power of God, it turned that proud, self-righteous Pharisee, violent persecutor of the church, into a humble servant of Jesus Christ. That's the power of God. Listen, when you've seen somebody that's been rowdy and cantankerous and rebellious and gnarly, and they have been knocked off their high horse and turned into a humble, lowly, submissive servant of Jesus Christ, you can say that is the work of the power of God in that person's life, right? You know, it's so good, so good. Certainly how God operates, He takes the unruly makes them submissive, makes them loving, turns them into servants. Make me like you, Lord. Make me like you. I want to be a servant. Do what you'll do. Verse 8, this is part of Paul's ministry. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, I love this, where he starts out even too, and he says, the less, the I always get that tongue twisted. Less than the least. Less than the least. Less than the least. I love the humility that Paul has. I would say that a lot of the TV preachers and the YouTube social media preachers could probably take a a lesson from Paul here. You know, some of them parade around so much boasting about their authority in Christ, you know, and all this and stuff. And Paul says, look, I'm the less of the least. Less than the least. And he says that because he knows before he became a servant of Christ. He was a violent persecutor of the church. He says, and he came lately, to, or come later on. He wasn't in the original 12. He says, I'm less than everybody else. That's a good attitude to have, you know. He didn't think anybody owed him anything. And he says, this grace was given just again. Three times the word grace shows up in this passage, by the way, so you can tell it's a key word. All of this is God's grace, his gift to us. And he says that this grace was given, this gift was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Those two words, unsearchable riches. Riches are something precious. Now, typically, things that are precious are rare, right? Can you think of anything that to you is particularly precious? Um, Typically, precious things are rare. They call them precious stones. 
because they're rare. But in this case, they're unsearchable, these precious things. There is an infinite amount of these precious things that Paul was called to talk about. These things are God's compassion, His gentleness, His mercy, His grace, His transforming power, forgiveness of sins. These are precious things, and they're infinite. And Paul's called to just bring these things to people. What an amazing thing to be called to do. And all of us are called to do this in some way. We're called to share the unsearchable, infinite, precious things of God with people around us. What a job that you've been called to. What a job that we've all been called to. Aaron and I were driving the other day by Walmart, and up next to us in the lane over pulled up an ice cream truck. And uh, she jumped out of the car at the red light and was like, ah, no, I'm just kidding. You don't like ice cream that much. I was a totally joke. She likes ice cream. But we sat and we talked about it for a second. We thought, wouldn't that be a fun job, you know, if we like, didn't have a cleaning company and didn't, you know, work at digital marketing and Pastavella and stuff? Wouldn't it be fun to have an ice cream truck? Because you're just dispensing this stuff to people that just does such good, well, it kind of does good for them. <laughs> Your heart doctor wouldn't tell you that. You know, ben and Jerry both died of like heart problems, you know. But either way, the smiles, you know, just dispensing. You know what I mean? But you've been called to something so much greater, to be a dispenser of the riches, the unsearchable riches of Christ to people. Oh my gosh. I love Paul's humility there. I'm less than the least. It's refreshing to hear a man admit that, isn't it? Reminds me of a time I heard about A.W. Tozer. He was, or he was being introduced to speak, and this man gave a long, flowery introduction, and he said, oh, you know, he's written all these books, and he's a prophet in our time, and Tozer got up to the platform, and he said, Lord, forgive that man for his flattery. And he said, Lord, but also forgive me for how much I liked it. <laughs> the less than the least called to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 9, this ministry is to show people what it means to be in Christ. And he says, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, now, which is from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. So that last part was hidden from the beginning. He's just kind of reiterating that this was hidden long ago. But where he says, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, that's the word koinonia, the partnership of the mystery. What he's getting at is he doesn't want people just to know the head knowledge. He wants them to know the fellowship. He doesn't want you to know the facts about what it means to be a church member. He wants you to know what it means to be in the church. He wants you to see it in his life, and he wants to be able to see it in your life. And that's what he's getting at through there. Now, that was the ministry given to Paul. Our last point, God's motive behind the mystery. Now, this is just staggering. To the intent, otherwise, or for the purpose, that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And then back to that verse we talked about earlier. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So verse 10 and 11, this is the motive behind this whole 
mystery about God creating a church, about God creating a body. Here's the motive. And look what it says there. Verse 10, God's purpose in all of, his, in all of this was to use the church to display the wisdom, the manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers. Now, principalities and powers, that's a term for angelic beings. It means angels and demons. There's a realm that you don't see, and in that realm, there are angels and demons. And what Paul is saying, this is just staggering, is he said, God created the church the way that he did, so the church would show the angels the wisdom of God. Now, think about this for a second. The angels don't know what God is up to. And they look at the church and they go, what is this stuff going on? You are a living lesson to the angels about God. What are you showing? What are you teaching the angels about God? It says right there, verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the angels. The church is being used by God to teach the angels about the wisdom of God. It's like a classroom setting. God's the teacher, the angels are the students, and the lesson is the church. So the angels sit back and they go, wow, we're watching God. He created this universe thing. He created this planet thing. He, you know, he, and then he put Adam and Eve on it and they disobeyed him. And then God clothed them with some animal skins and promised that someday a deliverer would come and sin came and destroyed the world. And all these prophets came and proclaimed that Jesus was coming. And then eventually he came and people got saved. And now they're all one body and they're going to be with them for eternity. And the angels are going, whoa, man, this is crazy. You know, I can't believe the wisdom of God. You know, That's what Paul's getting at there. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how you are Jesus' inheritance. You're also Jesus' lesson plan for the angels. You ever thought about that? Here's the implications of it. If, you know, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles being united in the church. If you cause division in the church, you're screwing up your witness before the angels, among other things. You know, not only are you hurting the church, but you're blowing your witness before the angels. The, the question is then, if I'm called to show the wisdom of God to the angels, am I displaying the wisdom of God in my life? Do you look at my life and say, I can see the wisdom of God in this guy's life? Am I teaching that lesson by how I live? Is this church showing the angels the wisdom of God? I think so. That he could bring all of us together? <laughs> I mean, we, we're only here for him. He brought us all together. We all love one another. It's just a staggering thing. Next time that you're struggling with sin and next time you're struggling with disobedience, you know, that's a good thing to think about. It's like, I'm blowing my witness before the angels right here, you know? It's kind of a weird thing to think about. Another implication of this is that unity in the body of Christ, not being divisive, is something that shows God's wisdom. It's a form of worship. Proverbs 6, one thing that the Lord hates is brothers that sow discord among the brethren. Now, when we're in unity, we're displaying God's wisdom that he can bring all types together and put them in one body and all can worship him. <sighs> he said this is according to the eternal purpose, verse 11, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This has been the plan forever. If you can read stuff, this is the highest of the heights of theology in the Bible right here. And I, it's, I'll tell you, this is tough. This is tough on a Sunday morning to think through these things, especially you that have never maybe read this or haven't really thought through these things. This is tough stuff. 
But if anything, if you come away and go, wow, this is just crazy. God has this huge plan that's been the plan forever. No. He goes on and he kind of digresses a little bit and he talks about in verse 12 how we both have access and boldness, boldness and access with confidence through him, uh, through faith in him. Jews and Gentiles, black, white, rich, poor, man, woman, up, down, all around. Everybody has access to God through Jesus Christ. Now, verse 13, he says, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. In other words, Ephesians, all of this stuff I just said in verses 2 through 11, this whole thing about the church and God's manifold wisdom and my calling and all of this stuff, don't you for a second get sad that I'm in jail because God allowed this to happen. And I understand it's part of his plan, so don't you for a second get upset. Don't lose heart at the fact that I'm in jail. You know, you think people would be tempted to be like, you're God's minister and you're locked up? You'd think they'd be tempted to think he must have done something wrong. He says, don't lose heart about this. This is God's plan. And then he goes on even further and he goes, which is your glory? In other words, you should glory in it. Ephesian church, you should sit there and say, yeah, the apostle Paul, he's in jail for his faith. You glory in it. What? You want me to glory in hardship? Yeah. You mean that God uses the things that in your life to accomplish his purposes, even the hard things? Yes. Maybe you're going through some hard things right now. There's, you can understand like the Apostle Paul does, and you can say that God is allowing me to go through hard things for a purpose. Now, if you could get that in your heart, and if you can believe that, life, life would look all different to you. Once in my home church, well, I guess this is my home church, the church I got saved in one Sunday morning. was a brand new believer, and this just shook me. It wasn't a brand new believer, brand new to being an actual church member. We had a guest speaker, and this man had a unique story. He had come to share about the ministry that God had given him as a part of his grace. And like some men, Mike had been a hunter. And he was out with a relative or a friend that day, and I can't remember which one. And that day would be like no other. As they went out to hunt, the unthinkable happened. Mike accidentally shot himself in the face with a shotgun. And he let that hardship bother him for a little bit, but he decided he was going to have more of a Christ-like attitude, more of an Apostle Paul sort of attitude, and say, why did you let this happen in my life, God? And that situation was the catalyst for him developing a ministry, Christ, I can't remember the exact name of it, forgive me, Christ Ministry for the Blind or Christ Camp for the Blind, and he started a blind kids camp, and God touched thousands of people through Mike Gates. When asked if he would go back, if he could change anything, he said no. And I remember as a new believer sitting there and hearing a guy say no. I got shot in the face by a shotgun and I wouldn't change a thing because of what God had done through that. Don't lose heart because of my tribulations. This is for your glory. That just floored me as a new believer. Don't lose heart when you're in tribulations. 
don't lose heart that I'm dealing with this difficulty, this challenge, this setback, this handicap, this illness, this loss, this hurt, this struggle. God is using it in my life, not only to break me, but to build me, and he's using it for others around me, and I can rest knowing that I am his, and through him, I belong to all of you, Paul would say. I want you to go back to verse 10, and we'll conclude here for a second. Verse 10, the Apostle Paul, he says that uh, the manifold wisdom, the, the intent is the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the church, you know, by the church to the principalities. It's also to the world. It's our calling as the church to make known the world, to be billboards for Christ. And what are some of the things that we are to make known to this world? I just want to leave you with this to think about, Okay. What are some of the things that you and I are to be making known to this world about God? And I'm just going to give you a few. One would be that by birth, we're spiritually blind and we need God's revelation. That's something we need to be making known to this world that I was blind, but now I see. And you don't, you know, we don't know naturally about God. God has to reveal himself to us. That's a good thing to reveal to this world. Another thing that we should be, that should be on our billboard that, you know, we're teaching the world about Christ is that by God's grace, that's the reason for salvation and the church. That's all about God's grace. It's not about sacraments or works or about any of these other things. The Bible says that it's by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest nobody should boast. Salvation is by grace through faith. Add one work to it, it's not salvation anymore, it's works. It's not a gift anymore. It's by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, period. And we should be teaching the world that. Another thing that we should be teaching the world is that God's grace causes us to live in awe and wonder. Paul understood theology, and when he, you know, this is like a guy that sits down and reads the book, a girl that sits down and reads the book and devotion in the morning and doesn't just go, oh, I gotta get through this and read my Bible. This is a person that opens the Bible and goes, Oh my gosh, (laughs) you know, because they meditate on these things. And don't get me wrong. I don't expect anybody to be like that all the time. Because that'd be, that'd be pretty weird. You'd be hard to live with if you were always like that. Like, I'm just trying to ask you, what do we have for dinner? Oh, God has supplied all kinds of food for us. What should we pick? You know, I'm just saying, when was the last time that you were just awestruck by the Lord? Another thing we should be teaching the world is that we diligently maintain the unity in the body of Christ. We don't sow discord, that we're submissive to one another and we keep the unity in the body of Christ. That's another thing we should be teaching the world. Another thing is that sharing the gospel with others is a high priority. Uh, That's another thing we should be showing the world by our lives. Another thing we should be showing the world by our lives is that as his people, we realize that we're called to reveal his glory. That's kind of circular, right? What should we we be revealing? That we've been called to be revealers. And that's why I called this message Revealed to Reveal. God revealed his truth to us. We became saved, and now we're to reveal it. So those are the things. You are a billboard for Jesus Christ. You are the lesson plan in the classroom. And people are learning a lot about Jesus Christ from watching you in your life.